on the day after Martin Luther King Jr. Day in 2024, I think we need to discuss the dangers of diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's not what Martin Luther King Jr. dreamed of. Trust me. We're going to discuss tonight on this, your favorite night of the week, The Deep End on Tim Hatch, live. Hey, everybody. Welcome in. Tuesday night, 7.30 p.m. for The Deep Dive. No, Deep End. Deep End. Yeah. Season 7, episode 13. Deep Dive is on my mind because we can't do the Deep Dive tomorrow night, but we do have the Deep End tonight and we're going to discuss the news from a christian worldview i'm a pastor and it's a passion of mine to share with you about the nonsense of this world and how to discern what's going on biblically so let's get into deep end news deep, 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 deep end news the news you choose if you could choose news we need to take some time to remember Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream. Now, I remember the first time that I ever saw his I Have a Dream speech. It was powerful. I was sitting on the floor of my living room. I'm from an all-white family. I'm a white guy. And watching the speech, it was beautiful. I wasn't alive when the speech was made, of course. It was, I think, 1963, I think. Um, yeah, I wasn't alive then, but I did watch it on replay many times every time Martin Luther King Jr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day came around. And it is a powerful, profound speech. And if you remember, he contributed one of the greatest lines to the civil rights movement in history as he took to the podium at the March on Washington, August 28th, 1963, and he made this famous statement. Watch. Just as I have a dream. My four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. Mm. Powerful words probably have never been spoken of the idea that you don't judge a child, you don't judge a person on what's on the outside, you judge a person on what's on the inside. And of course, we have questions about Martin Luther King Jr. and we could go there and, you know, I was tempted to do that, but I'm not going to do that. I mean, was he a socialist? Sure. Was he maybe Marxist a little bit? Maybe a touch. Did he commit adultery? I think so. Did he laugh when a woman was raped? That might be an FBI snow job. But did he, and did he speak at a conference supporting eugenics monster and founder of Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger? Yes. So the man did have his faults. But he shared a very positive idea with the world. And he would be rolling over in his grave if he saw what his movement has become. Because it's almost as if it's the exact opposite. Now it is not the content of your character that is the most important part of you. No, 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 no. It, we're, we're back to square one. The color of your skin. And so DEI professionals around the world are making sure that Martin Luther King's dream continues to stay a dream. Now we need to fill racial quotas in every industry. And it doesn't matter the industry. We're not looking at what people can do. We're looking at what people look like. And this is a disaster waiting to happen. I bring you news of United Airlines. They have sparked a debate with a pledge to diversify the pilot staff. Quote, our flight deck should reflect the diverse group of people on board our planes every day, wrote United Airlines in Monday's announcement. This is why we plan for 50% of the 5,000 pilots we train in the next decade to be women or people of color. Now, now here's the reality. 
First off, just on the merits, the statement is wrong because the diversity of the group in the airplane is still predominantly white. Okay, that is just the demographics of America. It's not good. It's not bad. It's not evil. It's not terrible. It's not righteous and it's not unholy. It's just facts, right? Whites are still the dominant size majority of America's uh, population. So why then do we actually have to go further than the demographics of the population percentage-wise when it comes to hiring pilots for planes? It just seems to me that we want the best pilot hired. I don't know, call me old school, but I take pleasure in getting to my destination safely, and I don't care what color the person is doing that job for me. But here we have Scott Kirby, the CEO of United Airlines. And this guy is a trip, and you will find out why in just a moment. In the most uncomfortable interview detailing how his company is committed to workplace diversity no matter the skill level. Watch this. How is diversity and diversity targets working into the Aviator Academy? We have committed that 50% of the class of, of the classes will be women or people of color. Uh, today, only 19% of our pilots at United Airlines are women or people of color. And by the way, from all the data I've seen, that's the highest of any airline in the country. White males don't just dominate in the cockpits, also in the C-suite at United Airlines. Well, look, at United, I'm proud of the diversity that we actually have in our, our C-suite. I think if you look around corporate America. This gets uncomfortable. From saying, though, so I, this was just based off your website, the people you list as executives, but out of 11 people, three are women. I believe one is a person of color. Um, that's correct. Um, but, you know, in corporate America, I think, you know. See, that's a low bar. How do you yeah. raise your own bar? Well, a lot of this is, you know, focusing on it. We have uh, programs to, one of the things we do is for every job when we do an interview, we require women and people of color to be involved in, in the interview process, bringing people in early in their careers um, as well uh, and giving them those opportunities uh, and creating a stronger band. Okay, so there he is, the most uncomfortable interview ever for a CEO of United Airlines, talking about how he is committed to making sure that the color of one's skin is the most important qualifier for getting the job at United. Now, who is Scott Kirby? And this is why Christians tonight, you got to take off the blindfolds to what's happening when it comes to diversity. I am 100% pro-diversity because... Heaven is diverse. Heaven will be filled with black people, white people, with men and women, and with all kinds of different tribes and nations and nationalities. And we will all be very diverse physically. But here's the thing. We will be totally not diverse spiritually because we will all be worshiping one Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay? So the question now is, who is behind the modern-day movement of diversity and you've got to pay attention because, ladies and gentlemen, it gives me no pleasure. Well, okay, a little bit of pleasure to introduce to you Scott Kirby, the cross-dressing CEO of United Airlines. I kid you not. This is the guy that you just saw on that video uh, talking about how uncomfortable he was with the number of white dudes in the uh, pilot seats of United Airlines. Here's another picture. And I saw it, so you have to see it. This is Scott Kirby, the CEO of United Airlines. Here's another picture. I mean, what on earth? He likes to dress and drag and tell people who are white to stick. Uh, United Airlines doesn't just have a CEO problem. They've also got plenty of cross-dressing captains flying their planes, and I guess on-the-job cross-dressing. This is a, evidently some kind of movement in the United Airlines corporate culture. And you will be happy to know that United Airlines diversity officer, this is the lead dude 
on the diversity team, Maya Tallman, a man pretending to be a woman who is a pilot and also runs their newly formed DEI committee at United Airlines. This is America and its corporations becoming a joke. Thankfully, some people are seeing the joke. We've already talked about on this show that Dave Chappelle is not afraid to call this out. And there's another great comedian from SNL, when SNL was funny, Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live, when it was funny, back in the day. His name is Rob Schneider, and I think he's a Christian now. I think he became a Christian, but he is calling this stuff out like he sees it, and this clip is hilarious. Watch. The CEO of United Airlines last month, the CEO, he announced of all the hiring for all the new pilots that are coming up this year, all the hiring for the new pilots, the main focus is going to be diversity. What? Diversity? Not the best pilots you can find? The ones with the most hours of experience? The ones you've done it before? Maybe? Nope, diversity. I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of flying all the time with these white pilots landing safely and on time. <laughs> Boring. Oh, credit to Rob Schneider. He's not afraid to call it as he sees it. And there are so many people who are not speaking up. And thankfully, some comedians are. One of my favorite quotes, okay, in all of history is from Horace Walpole. He's an English thinker and novelist. And he said, to the thinking, to those who think, life is a comedy. And to those who feel, life is a tragedy, right? You got to do some normal thinking about this stuff. You got to realize that if you're not on board with all of these uh, diversity quotas and eliminating the Martin Luther King Jr. dream and basing hiring processes on what's on the outside and not what's on the inside, if you're not good with that, I got to remind you. I think you need I think you need somebody to tell you from the outside. So here I am to tell you. If you don't think that's right, you're normal. Or as this commercial also says, you're normal if you believe what we have historically believed for decades in this country up until the last five minutes. Watch. Have you ever boarded a plane and thought to yourself, I hope the pilot is a transgender refugee? Have you ever gone to the emergency room and said, I hope my medical team is incredibly diverse? Have you ever moved to a new city and said, I hope the police department hit its equity goals for the year? If your answer to these questions was no, if you just wanted the most qualified candidates for the job, then you are normal. But we have a lot of very not normal people running America these days. Left-wing politicians believe skin color or gender identity should determine who gets the job. Yeah, 100% right. That's uh, the end of Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream, in my opinion. It must not continue. It has to stop. A couple of months ago, I had a black lady come up to me in my church, and our church is filled with all colors, and I'm so glad about that. But she came up to me and she said, Pastor, I have to ask your advice. My company has asked me to be on their diversity, equity, and inclusion program. And I preach openly about this stuff in my church. And she said, what do you think I should do? And I said to her, here's what you do. If you take the position, speak as a Christian, like you've got to speak out on behalf of Christians. You've got to say what's true because the end game, and that's what I wanted to bring you to here today. The end game of diversity, equity, and inclusion is the end of Christian freedoms in this country. 
And this is my pastoral concern. You say, Pastor, I don't understand why you talk about all these kind of like, you know, left-wing, right-wing narratives. Well, because there is, there is skin in the game for Christians to understand where this goes. Okay, so let's talk about United Airlines for a few more moments. Did you know that back in 2021, nearly 600 United Airlines employees faced termination for defying the vaccine mandate? Many of those who denied the vaccine mandate were Christians. And so what happened? They were made fun of, they were mocked, and the CEO, the guy who was cross-dressing, who was down with drag, decided, floated the idea of putting a scarlet letter on ID badges at work at United Airlines to make sure that the company was purged, these are his words, purged of religious orthodoxy. See, underneath the surface of all this DEI nonsense is an anti-Christian bias. And if you don't believe me, I have even more evidence. But before we get to that evidence, I want to talk about what the FAA overall is doing in regards to diversity. Check this news out. Uh, the FAA is pushing a diversity uh, program or, or focus on hiring people with severe intellectual and psychiatric disabilities. So now it's not just about skin color. It's about your brain function. If you are, psych if you are a, uh, a, a mental mess, they want to hire you. Now, of course, this doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to put mentally disabled people in charge of flying the plane. At least I hope. But this is alarming because diversity, if you want to continue to go as far as you want to, at some point, you're going to be putting in that Muslim terrorist in the pilot seat because, after all, he checks a box on behalf of diversity. And that didn't go well for us back in 2011, if you don't, 2001, if you don't remember. You, you, you've got to see where it is headed. Uh, the the uh, New York Post interviewed Dr. Stanley Goldfarb, chairman of Do No Harm. And he is um, the chairman of a group of care, healthcare professionals, medical students, and policymakers working to protect healthcare from a racial, divisive, divisive and discriminatory, discriminatory ideology. He told Fox News Digital that similar to the medical field, the aviation industry has no obligation to protect its travelers. According to these new DEI imperatives, they are showing their hand. They don't care about you. They, they care more about an ideology. And this is how history has gone throughout the centuries. When ideology, in other words, what you think is right, trumps care for other people and doing right by your neighbor, bad things happen to countries. Empires fall. Other empires rise up and destroy those empires. This is the history of humanity, and it might be the undoing of American culture as we know it. Now, back to diversity's endgame. I give you the Johns Hopkins Chief Diversity Officer Statement last week on the importance of identifying your privilege. Yes, your privilege. Ironically, she put this out on the eve of Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Her name is Dr. Sharita Hill Golden. She listed uh, a bunch of people that need to be aware of their privilege just because of what they look like on the outside or what their genitals are made up of. So again, privilege and, you know, uh, identity and your outward appearance are elevated to the supreme level of who you are and your abilities are pretty much irrelevant. But here is the most alarming part of the statement that Dr. Sharita Hill-Golden released. She lists the groups of people who have unearned benefits in specific social groups. Check out the list. White people, 
able-bodied people, heterosexuals, cisgender people, which I hate the term cisgender. Don't use that term. Males, Christians, Christians, Christians. Then the rest of the list, middle or only class people, middle-aged people, English-speaking people. By the way, I think I check every single box on that list. Then it goes on. Privilege is characteristically invisible to people who have it. People in dominant groups often believe they have earned the privileges they enjoy or that everyone could have access to these privileges if only they worked to earn them. In fact, privileges of unearned are unearned and are granted to people in the dominant groups whether they want those privileges or not and regardless of their stated intent. Christians. Like... <laughs> I can't tell you how damaging this is to the very idea of Christianity because fundamentally Christians, we have to understand and get back to what God says about this. You become a Christian when you acknowledge that you are a nobody, when you acknowledge that you are a failure, that to become a Christian requires only one thing of you, to admit that you don't deserve to become a Christian. You have no spiritual privilege before God or man. That you have sinned against God, you have sinned against man, you have sinned against others, and you need to repent of that sin, and you need to turn to God for the forgiveness of your sin. That's what it takes to become a Christian. And now, the chief diversity officer of John Hopkins University has flipped the script on what it means to be Christian. Friend, illegal aliens coming into our country through the, through the border with an intent to kill us could repent and become Christians tomorrow. Does that now make them a privileged class status? Um, poor people, homeless people, tomorrow could repent of their sins and turn to Christ and become Christians. Are they now privileged? And it doesn't matter about your color. It doesn't matter about your upbringing. It doesn't matter about who you came from or what you did in your past. Anybody and everybody can become a Christian by God's amazing grace. But yet now this is the thinking of the intellectual class in our country. You see how there is an anti-Christian bias afoot under the surface of all this DEI nonsense? Now, it didn't work out so well for Dr. Sheila. John Hopkins University forced her to issue an apology, and you have to believe that she didn't want to write it, but she did have to say, listing white people, English people, males, and Christians, uh, probably not the best idea. Actually, the only thing I think she repented of was mentioning Christians. So, uh, I'm sorry, I called her Sheila. She's Sarita. Sarita Golden. Coming to her senses maybe a bit, but it doesn't end with her. This is a growing sentiment. And every once in a while, one of these chief diversity officers says the quiet part out loud. This is a blatant, full frontal assault on the Judeo-Christian heritage of our country and of our culture. So news out of the political, political sphere last night, Donald Trump won big in Iowa. And that brings me to politics. So whenever Donald Trump wins, everybody freaks out on the political left because they literally believe that guy is a fascist. Now, he is not on trial for insurrection, and he did not incite an insurrection. He did not use the military to overthrow an election. Yes, he complained about the results, and he's, <laughs> he never stopped complaining about the results. But every time he wins or takes another inch closer to the White House, the narrative shifts again against what they call orange, well, they don't call him, but I call him this in their honor, orange Hitler. Yes, orange man, Hitler, Donald Trump. They're all the same person. <laughs> and so this is how they kind of conflate Christianity, orange Hitler, and white privilege. Joy Reid over on MSNBC last night consoling herself that there aren't that many Christians in Iowa, so that's why Donald Trump was able to win. 
good news for Joy Reid is that the Christian share of the overall population of the country is far less than it is in Iowa. So yay for less Christians, because after all, we don't want Orange Hitler getting back to the White House. Watch. But, you know, I feel like the important sort of data point, and, and you know, Steve talks about it a lot. He's, he's going to probably talk about it a little more tonight, is that these, these are white Christians. That this is a state that is overrepresented over by white Christians that are going to participate Particularly in these tonight. caucuses. Yes. Okay, now just stop there for a moment and imagine Joy Reid or any other political pundit, Joy Reid would never say this, but any other political pundit saying, well, the reason why Joe Biden won 98% of the vote in Philadelphia is because of black people. And these people are a problem for the political process. Just, just, just imagine. You can't ever say that, but you can definitely say that about Christians. Let's continue. Especially tonight. Um, I, today, earlier today, reached out to Robert Jones, Robbie Jones, um, from the Public Religion Research Institute, knowing that we were going to talk about Iowa. And this is a hyper-evangelical st white state. And he said the following to me. Iowa is about 61% white Christian. The country as a whole is approximately 41% white Christian. And in Iowa, we're talking about evangelical white Christians. And he said the following. Because I asked him, what do they get out of supporting Donald Trump? Because he keeps losing, he keeps delivering losses and losses and losses. And he said the following, they see themselves as the rightful inheritors of this country. And Trump has promised to give it yeah. back to them. All the things that we think about, about electability, about you know what are people gaming out, or mm -hmm. none of that matters when you believe that God has given you this country, that it is yours, and that everyone who is not a white conservative Christian is a is a fraudulent American. Uh, yeah. So lots of a broad brush assumptions about those who vote for Trump. She might be right about a subset of the population that vote for, for votes for him, but these kind of generalizations are perfectly fine on television as long as they are directed in one at one group of people christians particularly white christians now the the, the problem here for for christians is we have done a lot of damage to our brand by segregating in fact it has been often said that the most segregated hour of the week is sunday morning where white people go to white churches and black people go to black churches and hispanic people go to hispanic churches and that should not be and I absolutely agree that pastors have to play a key role. They have to lead the way in embracing and welcoming and platforming people from diverse backgrounds and colors in ministry. I do this as much as I possibly can in my church. But at the same time, the people in the minority group in any church, whether it be a black church, white church, or Hispanic church, have to step up and serve, have to step up and give themselves to the, to the time commitment necessary to minister in that local assembly. We can absolutely do better, but understand that every once in a while, the anti-Christian sentiment rears its ugly head and no one gets called out on it. It is perfectly acceptable on a national 24-hour cable news network to basically blame one subset of the population based on their skin color for an election happening in the way that they don't approve of. And it happens only one way. Only white people and white Christians or Christians in general can be blamed for these kinds of heinous activities in our culture. This is the exact opposite of what Reverend Christian Pastor Martin Luther King Jr. dreamed of. Back to some humor because I know I'm dealing with some heavy stuff, but this commercial of the year had me cracking up. And you got to watch this because it kind of um, parodies what we're seeing in our national discourse right now concerning DEI. Watch. When I grow up, I want to work for a woke company. 
like super woke. When I grow up, when I grow up, I want to be hired based on what I look like rather than my skills. I want to be judged by my political beliefs. I want to get promoted based on my chromosomes. When I grow up, I want to be offended by my coworkers <laughs> and walk around the office on eggshells <laughs> and have my words policed by HR. Words like grandfather, peanut gallery, long time no see, no can do. When I grow up, I want to be obsessed with emotional safety and do workplace sensitivity training all day long. When I grow up, I want to climb the corporate ladder just by following the crowd. I want to be a conformist. I want to weaponize my pronouns. <laughs> what are pronouns? It's time to grow up and get back to work. Introducing the number one woke-free job board in America, redballoon.work. Yeah, I'll play that whole commercial and give them a give them a slot here on the deep end because it's insane what is be, what is happening in regards to the anti-christian sentiment underlying the DEI movement in our culture and you Christians cannot afford to pretend this isn't happening to pretend that this isn't coming for you because these under these underlayment movements have happened throughout history before and remember the god of this world is satan the devil second corinthians 4:4 4, 4 says that he has blinded the minds of unbelievers. He is the prince of the power of the air. That's Ephesians chapter 2. And he is on a quest to annihilate those who hold to the scriptures, those who hold to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He hates you. He wants to consume you. He wants to destroy you. And he will do whatever it takes to make sure that the Christian movement is targeted at the higher levels of power and on the news media channels so that you, Christians, quiet down, know your place, and allow your country to go to hell. It cannot happen. We have to relive. We have to revive Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream that one day it will be based on what you bring to the table inside that matters and not what you bring to the table outside. Where is it headed? This, this, this is um, some alarming news out of Turkey the, uh, and, no, no, I'm sorry, South Africa. Uh, amazingly, <laughs> what, what is happening in America if you want to see where we're headed, just look at South Africa, because they were all in on this. The white people got to go. The black people got to be in charge. And, and it was based on a lot of historical wrongs against black people in South Africa. And I totally understand that. And there was serious oppression against the black people in South Africa. But this pendulum swung all the way to the other side. And now some very disturbing news that I guarantee you did not even hear about out of South Africa. Check this headline out. South African, South Africa removing Jewish cricket captain from their team. Why? Because he's Jewish? The title says, smells like the 1936 Nazi Olympics. From Jewish News, quote, the decision to remove Tiger's captaincy had been made in the wake of supportive comments he had made about the Israeli Defense Forces at Jewish Achievers at a Jewish Achievers event held by the South African Jewish community. But Milner and Kregel said when complaints were made about his comments, uh, Tiger ad agreed to subject himself to an independent inquiry to establish whether he had breached CSA's code of conduct. He was cleared of any such breach and was then. Uh, asked to step down from the captaincy voluntarily, but he refused. And so what do they do? They remove him. They, they, this is exactly the protocol of Adolf Hitler in the 1930s. And then pretty soon they had to wear patches and they had to be discredited as humans. And you say, what's the tie-in between anti-Christian sentiment and anti-Jewish sentiment? Because the country, the West, the cultural West, built on the Bible, 
the Old and New Testament, the Judeo-Christian ethic. We are linked. Jews and Christians, we are linked. Christians worship a Jew. Jews gave birth to the Christian movement. And Paul explicitly states in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 that Christians owe a debt of gratitude to the Jews because we receive through them the promises of our salvation, the blessings of Abraham, the true son, Jesus Christ, who saves us from our sins, and the law and the prophets. They are now ours by adoption through the, to the, the family of God through the Jewish people. And so this anti-Christian Jewish sentiment, demonic, because that is the movement of God, according to the Bible. That is the movement of salvation that God has given to the world. And the anti-sentiment, the anti-Christian Jewish sentiment is rooted in demonism, demon activity. Uh, more anti-Jewish sentiment. For all the free Palestine folks out there, right? Palestine will be free from the river to the sea. Let me ask you a question. This is a serious historical question. When was Palestine ever free? Answer, never. If you do any amount of research into the past, particularly the Ottoman Empire, who ruled over Palestine before the British took over, it was like the least free area of the world. People were subjected to all kinds of inhospitable treatment based on the color of their skin or their ideology or their religion. What brought freedom to Palestine, as you like to call it, free Palestine people, was the state of Israel. The state of Israel has a Knesset. It's their parliament. They have non-Jews on the parliament. They allow non-Jews to make policy in their government. So for all the free Palestine folks, here's some news for you. There was an Israeli football player who was arrested in Turkey for displaying a, hosti a pro-Israeli um, hostage message, message during a soccer match. This is uh, from The Guardian. Earlier on Sunday, the country's justice minister announced an investigation into Sagiv Jehezkel over the incident for suspected incitement to hate after his club sacked him over the matter. He got kicked off the club. After scoring a goal for his team, he revealed a message which read, 100 days, 0710, on a bandage on his left wrist. The message was a reference to the Hamas attack on Israel on October 7th and the number of days... Uh, that more than 130 Israeli hostages have been held in Gaza. Israel's ongoing assault to destroy Hamas has killed 23,000 people in Gaza, mostly women and children, according to the Hamas-run health ministry. Because, of course, the Hamas militants put women and children in front of themselves during the war. Uh, that's what they do. That's how they fight. So they arrest this man, and then they uh, kick him out of the country. They deport him back to uh, Israel. Uh, by the way, the president of Turkey, Erdogan, Erdogan, has described Israel as a terrorist state, insisting that Hamas is a group of liberators. These are the people who would be running Palestine if the Jewish state was removed. These are the kind of people who would be running the quote-unquote free Palestine if the state of Israel was removed. Thankfully, the soccer player, Sagiv, received a very warm welcome when he returned to his home in Jerusalem, or Tel Aviv wearing proudly the Israeli flag, and he is home safe and sound. When you think about it, uh, a couple of years ago, and maybe you don't remember this, but a couple of years ago, the Turkish police arrested a Christian missionary and held him captive for many, many years. He was eventually released. But that's what happens in these Muslim-dominated countries. And the ignorance of Americans to understand this is what's leading to the pro-Palestinian movement amongst our young. And we have to spread the word and we have to spread it constantly because the indoctrination is real. By the way, on the eve of that soccer player's 
arrest and then eventual deportation, attention was turned to a second Israeli soccer player on the Turkish team. Uh, they have put pressure on Eden Kartsev for posting to his own private social media account the number 100 with two yellow ribbons as the zeros and the hashtag bring them home now. So that free Palestine movement, that's what they consider free. You get arrested, deported, or governmental pressure if you call for the release of hostages taken in an all-out assault by deadly Hamas terrorists. <sighs> that's where we are in this country. Now, turning our attention to what I call the politics of our country, our daytime drama. Why do I pay so much attention to this stuff? Some of you don't care, and, and I get it, but I do. Because it is kind of like a good, long-running show with very limited commercials. You know about all of these indictments against President Trump, uh, or former President Trump, and all of these <laughs> politically driven attempts to arrest him, incarcerate him, and make sure that he can't run for president? It's just kind of fun to watch it all unfold, because every day you wake up and something new is going to be in the storyline. And that brings us to what happened last week. There was a filing uh, of an improper relationship between the Fulton County DA, that would be Fannie Willis, who hired a special prosecutor that she then began to date and take exotic trips with as he hunted for material in which to indict President Trump on racketeering charges in trying to overturn the 2020 election results. This motion was filed by Atlanta lawyer Ashley Merchant on behalf of Trump campaign official Michael Roman. And evidently, this is from AJC Politics. District Attorney Fannie Willis improperly hired an alleged romantic partner to prosecute Donald Trump and financially benefited from their relationship, according to a court motion filed on Monday. The bombshell public, fi public filing alleged that Special Prosecutor Nathan Wade, a private attorney, paid for lavish vacations he took with Willis using the Fulton County funds his law firm received. County records show that Wade, who has played a prominent role in the election interference case, has been paid nearly $654,000 in legal fees since January 2022. The DA authorizes his compensation. Uh, this is a picture of the motion that was filed. And I read through the motion. I read through the whole thing, actually. And evidently, uh, the relationship between Willis and Wade started while Wade was still married and he filed for divorce. Uh, a day after his first contact with Willis. <laughs> Interesting stuff. Just days of our lives nonsense. And again, yes, paid $653,881 to date to go after President Donald Trump while sleeping with the main architect of his indictment, Fannie Willis. <laughs> oh, how the world turns. It's just amazing. The general hospital that our political process has got to be put into because... You just can't make this stuff up. This is why it is so entertaining. So what does Fannie Willis do to absolve her of these improprieties? Well, she heads down to Big Bethel AME Church in Atlanta to preach to the choir about he, how she is being persecuted because of racism. Yes, it is racism that has made these uh, very, very serious charges come to light. So she headed over to, again, Big Bethel AME Church in Atlanta six days later, and here she was preaching from the pulpit. Watch. All the glory I receive is his grace, yeah. not a perfect me. 
We are at a time in history, people. Hear me on this. We are at a time in history when you can no longer sit back and just let other folks do it. You cannot expect black women to be perfect and save the world. The Lord is completing us. We are not perfect. We need your prayers. We need to be allowed to stumble. We need grace. With that kind of support, we will move mountains and do Jesus' will. Stumbling all the way. All right, a couple things here. Number one, I know that somebody has not read the Bible and or is not a Christian when they say the words Jesus' will. And here's why. It's not Jesus' will. It's God's will or the Father's will. In fact, Jesus himself told us to pray, your will be done, Heavenly Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? He also got to the Garden of Gethsemane and said to the Father in prayer as he sweated drops of blood, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus is the perfect man. He is God in flesh, but he is the perfect man, the true son of Adam, the true son of Abraham, who surrenders his will to the Father's will. And I might be, I might be just kind of like picking on Fanny here, but it's important to point out that, that little hint of her true nature of spirituality. But amazingly, Big Bethel AME Church gets away with having her preach to the entire congregation in a way of absolving herself of adultery and improper financial management of taxpayer money to target her political opponents. This this is, of course, not going to be worried about very much, and who knows if it's going to go anywhere. And it brings up a second point, and I've talked about this before. But remember, the marriage of church and state is perfectly fine as long as it's on the political left. If it's on the political right, we call it white nationalism or Christian nationalism. If, it, nationalism. if it's on the political left, it's perfectly fine. It's the fight against racism. It's a fight against, it's a fight, it's a fight for diversity. It's, it's a fight for inclusion. <laughs> but only Christians on the right can be Christian nationalists. Literally, she's talking about doing Jesus' will, that is, incarcerating President Trump uh, while she sleeps with the guy investigating the whole matter and goes on two cruises, Norwegian and Royal Caribbean cruises, with him on taxpayer, on the, on the taxpayer dime. <laughs> and this is perfectly fine. That's not the marriage of church and state. Or if it is, well, it's perfectly fine. Uh, that's just the craziness of our soap opera. That is the political process. And I just bring that up to you because it's kind of ridiculous. Let's do a follow-up on Biden's open border, order, open border policy. The deep in follow-up. Yeah, so this came out actually right after the show last week. Um, and... No, sorry. The first the first piece that I have for you is news out of Melrose, Massachusetts. They are holding an event called Exploring the Mo the Host Home Experience, and this is to encourage residents to house illegal aliens in their homes. A few months ago, and we did report this, Maura Healy, the governor of Massachusetts, has begun asking citizens to take illegals into their homes. Massachusetts is the only state in the nation with a right to shelter law, which means the state must provide shelter for anyone who needs it. And uh, Elon Musk, this is uh, lives at TikTok reporting, Elon Musk is right, they're going to come from our, for our private homes. Uh, meanwhile, in the state of Massachusetts, they've also decided to open up financial aid for undocumented students in a new MASFA 
application program. This is money given to people for uh, college education. They call it tuition equity. And so here's the funny thing, though. Massachusetts is willing to ask you to host illegal aliens and also pay with your tax money for their college education while at the same time being absolutely broke. This is blue state politics at work, friends, because the Massachusetts governor has decided to cut the funding of several fire departments throughout the state. So your house might burn down, but at least the illegal aliens who are living there will get free college education. Uh, This is intolerable if you are a citizen of this country because you don't have a country if the country cares more about those who don't have any skin in the game in the country. Right? Now, from the outside looking in, because some youngsters don't get it. But let me ask you this, youngsters. Should France be forced to pay for the education of Germans? Should Spain be forced to pay for the education of Australians? No, you would never support that. Why would you ever support it for your own country? And you say, well, that doesn't sound very Christian to withhold funding for people who are out of state or from out of the country. Shouldn't we do the compassionate thing? Yes, we should do the compassionate thing for the people who are in the country first. Love thy Neighbor. Yes, the foreigner and the stranger come in. We should love them. But how about we love our neighbor, such as our veterans who are homeless and suicidal or the people who are on the streets, the homeless, the homeless in campus that are invading the downtown areas of multiple uh, downtown areas, metropolitan areas of our country? Or, Or how about the students who have done the work to educate themselves and apply for scholarships and then they're saddled with all kinds of student loan debt because the very... The very political party that was is welcoming illegal aliens into their country are the ones who are jacking up the prices of tuition and uh, room and board costs at these elite institutions. You see, you can't you can't survive this way as a country. News out of New York, Andy No reporting. This is even more atrocious. In in New York City, the migrant crisis is so, is so bad they had to close down a high school for the whole day and send the kids home to learn remotely so that the illegals could be housed in the facility overnight. (laughs) It's just unbelievable how our country is literally falling aside in the name of what? Compassion, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that is the news, the the madness that is happening in our world right now. Let's go back to COVID. I discuss this... um, today because I think we might be on the cusp of another virus. Yeah. And we'll do a report about this sometime in the future, but who knows what's going to happen in a political year. But remember the phrase, trust the science. Uh, It's important that we never forget what happened during the COVID COVID pandemic nonsense. Never forget what trust the science did to us. News coming out more and more. Fauci admitting that social distancing was not based on science. It just sort of appeared. That whole six-foot distance, that whole stickers in the grocery checkout line just kind of came out of nowhere. Also, he admitted that the COVID vaccine mandates helped fuel an anti-vax movement across the U.S. Who knew? If you tell Americans what to do, they will reject. They will reject you. They will resist you. That's what kind of makes them Americans. That's how we got this country started. Amen. Well, he appeared on this week talking about a new booster expected to be uh, 
approved by the FDA, and he said the quiet part out loud. See if you can hear it. Watch. Again, we have experience with this type of vaccine in billions of people. It's a safe vaccine. Of course, with the mRNA, there's a very, very, very low risk, particularly in young men, of getting a myocarditis. But if you look at the risk of myocarditis from COVID itself is greater than the risk of the vaccine. Oh, my word. This is science. This is Captain Science. This is I am science saying that a vaccine to protect the people who were least likely to die of the virus (laughs) will now be the most susceptible members of the population to the problems with the vaccine. Did you did you catch it? The young men in our country, young men in our country are being targeted by a vaccine that is dangerous for their health. They might it might lead to myocarditis. Now, telling far more truth than Dr. Fauci is Dr. Peter McCullough. He was an outspoken, highly publicized and published doctor who broke with the narrative over COVID and is now reporting that he has seen a sudden surge of myocarditis cases in his practice. Watch. I want to cite one paper from the peer-reviewed literature, Lane and colleagues, uh, that's assembled now a series of 18,204 patients with myopericarditis. 18,000. Now, I can tell you, my whole career, I saw two cases before COVID-19. Now I am seeing myocarditis on a daily basis. The number of myocarditis cases in the United States before the pandemic was roughly 200 to 400 cases in the whole country per year. Now we're seeing this in the thousands, and these are limited sets. Now, of those 18,204 spontaneously reported cases, the death rate in these patients is 0.22. So fortunately, majority of people survive, but sadly, some die. In the published papers of people describing the cases, the death rate has ranged from 0.41 for myopericarditis to 45.9%, 45.9%. Hulshear and colleagues, of which I am a senior author on this paper, is now uh, has a paper in the preprint server. Now it's been fully accepted to the um, uh, European Society of Cardiology Journal, has proven that myocarditis is fatal when autopsies are are confirmed. So that is news from the sector of science. And I bring it up to you. I know. I know you want to move past COVID. We can't. This is like a 9-11 deal, okay? Never forget what they did to us. Never forget how they manipulated science for nefarious political purposes. That's what I believe. And that's why we got to watch out for whatever disease is coming down the pike right now. Never forget it because they will do it again. The book of Revelation is very clear. Plagues, pestilence. This is going to fill the earth. And then there will be a dictator beast. There will be somebody, the one world ruler, who will be pulling us all together. One big happy globalist family. It's all there in the book of Revelation, chapter 13 and 14. And then he's going to stop you from paying for stuff in order for you to go along with his program. You got to be mindful of these things. You got to be aware of it. And you got to know that when they talk about trusted science, they're full of it. Many times they're full of it. Let's talk about this deal. Remember the whole deal about the American uh, Academy of Pediatrics saying that denying gender-affirming care to trans children is child abuse, that to withhold gender-affirming care is harmful to children and amounts to state-sanctioned medical neglect and, emo- and emotional abuse. There are politicians running on the idea that if you're 12 years old, you should get injected with puberty blockers and you should be transitioned medically and you should have the surgery and it's absolutely good for you because after all, having a living son is better than having a dead daughter or vice versa. That's how it started. 
guess how it's going? New report out that puberty blockers given to children who say they were born in the wrong body and want to change gender may lower their IQs. This is an alarming study from Sally Baxendale, professor of clinical neuropsychology at University College London, called for urgent research into the impact of the drugs on children's brain functions. NIH England stopped routinely prescribing the drugs, which halt bodily changes in puberty last year after a damning review found that the treatment could interrupt the process of brain maturing. Now, I asked this question about this uh, news. Is it the chicken or the egg? Because it's, to me, here's how I come across with this. Are these I was born in the wrong body kids just maybe a little low in IQ already? And so the drugs are given to them and it's just there are they already have a low IQ. The research needs to be more, of course, um, complete to prove whether or not the drugs actually lower their IQ or do the drugs literally lower their IQ. Like that's the question that I have here, but it doesn't un- undercut the statement that I'm trying to make. The point that I'm trying to make is this is science. This is what they call science. Now, I guarantee you there's a little um, qualifier here that Google and YouTube put up on this program to educate you about COVID and about whatever else I talked about that I shouldn't have talked about according to the narrative. And that's why this channel gets suppressed. And that's why I ask you to support it. And that's why I ask you to click the like button, the subscribe button, and the notification bell. Get notified every time we go live because you never know when we'll produce new content. Okay. That is the bad news, and let me end tonight with some good news. Really, really, really good. That's really good news. It's good. So our kids are having a mental health crisis like never before. I do believe it is a spiritual crisis. I believe that they have been... Um, trained to fear almost everything from climate change to COVID to not enough diversity in their kindergarten class. But God is still working amongst our young. This is news out of CBN. Quote, God saved me. Kentucky teen starts TikTok trend at school to help spread God's word. Let me just read the article in full because it is a beautiful story of how God is still working amongst our youth. After struggling with her own mental health, one Kentucky high school student decided to help herself and her classmates turn to the Lord in trying times, one sticky note at a time. Quote, our school, along with the middle school, has struggled with suicide, end quote, Sophie Jones told WKYT-TV, referring to her school, Whitley County High. A lot of people struggle with their mental health. After seeing a popular trend on TikTok, the the teenager decided to start a prayer wall in her high school. These walls, she said, were created to help spread God's word to those who need encouragement. Many of the Bible verses scrawled on tiny or sticky notes lined the girls' bathroom walls are passages that made a huge difference in Jones' own life. God saved me, the faithful student told the local news outlet. People can just write down a Bible verse or like Jesus loves you, for example, and you can either take it with you or if you want to keep it as a note, you can repost it or repost post other ones, she said, of the vision of her prayer wall. They could take that verse and say they want to read it, or we do have Chromebooks at school so they can Google the verse. She started the ministry of sorts late last year and is already having a positive impact. One of Joseph's friends and classmates, Evelyn Philpott, started, helped start the prayer walls. The other day, I seen a young female student had one of the yellow sticky notes with a Bible verse on it that we had wrote, and it just really like made my day to know that this is something that people are loving and is actually helping them. She added, these verses spoke to me, and I feel like they could speak to others. Both Jones and Philpott are members of First Priority, a student-led Christian organization with a chapter at Whitley County High School. Todd Lawson, director of the organization, said he's proud of the initiative the girls have taken. With prayer and God, that's the only answer we got. That's our only hope. He said, I may feel not important at home. I may not feel important to a teacher. I may not feel important to somebody, but God loves us and ain't nothing more important than that. 
Amen. So just when you think all hope is lost and the world is going to hell and nothing's good on the, on the news, there is good news. God is still working. And what's amazing about the story, and which I like most about it is, it's just a little bit of the Word of God that gets into somebody's heart, and it changes their perspective on life. It teaches them that they're loved by God, that He cares about them, that, they, that He has a plan and a future for their lives, and that Jesus indeed died for them, rose for them, and will come again to receive them unto himself. Amen. That's the show. If you haven't yet checked out one of our membership plans, there are five levels. You are on the free level right now, no matter where you are. But four other levels for you to help support our content. Get this further than we've ever gotten it. I have great news about the Tim Hatch Live team. The Tim Hatch Live team is heading down. This is so exciting to the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville, Tennessee this February. And I hope to be broadcasting some episodes or some live content from there. So if you're not yet supportive of the community, please do so. Patreon.com slash Tim Hatch Live. Some of that content will be only for our Patreon supporters. And when you support us, we support Project Rescue, stopping sex trafficking in the world and the American Bible Society, getting that powerful word of God into as many people's hearts as possible. That is what we're all about. So National Broadcast Religious Broadcasters Convention coming up. I will be there. We also have plans after that National Religious Broadcasters event for a 12-hour YouTube live stream. Yes, you heard that right. A 12-hour YouTube live stream. Pray for me. <laughs> We're going to do it. I'm excited for it. Um, you can also help us and support us by checking out the swag shop at timhatchlive.com shop. And we've got bold design designs going, and a lot of you have already purchased many of those products. I'm so thankful to you who support us. That's the show. There is no extra content this week. I was hijacked on a plane. Not literally hijacked. It's just trying to get out of a snowy area into a sunny area, and I sat on the tarmac for four hours, and so I couldn't get to it. I'm sorry, but that's the show. Everybody gets everything this week, but please support the channel and support the team. Thank you for being here. I'll see you very soon back here on Tim Hatch Live. God bless. Mm -hmm.